As we emerge from some of the COVID-19 restrictions, or at least a loosening of those restrictions, we're hearing a lot about shortages of labor, that, that many businesses are having trouble attracting people to work. That's often been true even before the pandemic across the agri-food system and particularly in, in restaurants and food service. And we're hearing about acute shortages now. What's interesting is we, we, we'd like to understand whether people are not coming back to work because government programs are too good and as government programs are round down that that that, that will change or have people fundamentally said, I'd rather work somewhere else. That question is important because it will affect the strategic way the industry comes to terms with, with some of the labor shortages that aren't new. I, I remember hearing about crises in the kitchens well before COVID, and, and now we're hearing it not only more acutely in kitchens, but also in the front of house. So why are those problems happening and what can we do about them? That's the topic for today's episode. My name is Mike Von Masso, and this is the Food Focus Podcast. My guests today are Rebecca Gordon, a graduate student in the School of Hospitality, Food and Tourism Management at the University of Guelph, and Bruce McAdams, who's a faculty member in the same department. We talk about whether there are problems with the types of jobs. Are these good jobs and, and we're just not attracting people? Or are there things that the industry needs to do a, a better job of? It's a really interesting discussion. It's one that I've had uh, many times with my friend Bruce, and, and it's, it's good to do it this time in the form of a podcast. I'm sure you'll find it interesting. Before we get to that, I just want to remind you that uh, if you enjoy the podcast, please take the, the opportunity to provide us a review wherever you get your podcast. If this is your first time and you like it and you'd like to get it regularly, you can find Food Focus anywhere where you regularly get podcasts. So without further ado, let's go straight to my discussions with Bruce and Rebecca. Well, hello, Bruce and Rebecca. Thanks for uh, taking the time to uh, to come talk to me today. Thanks for having us. Yeah, happy to be here, Mike. Well, uh, I'm, I'm I was interested. I read the 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 article that you guys wrote in the conversation. And Bruce, you and I have had this conversation before, and I expect Rebecca, you and I may have had this conversation uh, before as well. You talk about what we're hearing a lot right now about labor shortage, and in your article, you say. Perhaps it's not so much a labor shortage as 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 maybe people have found other work and and realize that there are options that are perhaps uh, better out there. Am I am I paraphrasing incorrectly, or does that accurately reflect? I think what you what you position what you what you stated in your article. Yeah, so I think I think you were correct in in your your summary there, but I think. The one point that, that we try to drive home is the fact that um, restaurant work as we know it tends to not provide uh, decent work and decent work is considered to be a human right where um, every worker in every industry across across the, the globe should be provided with work that um, pays them fairly. So with living wages, they're provided enough uh, time off. Um, to rest and recover, um, and they're also provided a safe work environment, and uh, they have access to healthcare. And um, so, if you look at some of these things and, and what we're hearing from restaurant workers, it seems like um, decent work may not be provided um, in some restaurants, which might be why we're we're seeing these um, labor shortages going on right now. 
And Mike, if so, I may add to uh, Rebecca, yeah, please. Uh, uh, I saw a quote, Rebecca was quoted in a, a Now Magazine article, I think, and, and she actually said, um, and I'm paraphrasing, but uh, you know, I don't think of it as a labor shortage. I think of it as a lack of decent work in the restaurant industry. And as an industry veteran <laughs> who's been talking about the labor shortages, labor shortages for probably my entire career, I thought, wow, you know, she's on to something there because if we if we really think about it, there hasn't been a shortage of people that have entered the industry. And and in the article, uh, we put some statistics there that 32% of people uh, in Canada have worked in, in restaurants. So that's roughly 10 million people. And and so, you know, there really hasn't been a shortage of, of people wanting or, or showing interest, at least, in joining the industry. Um, it's the fact that the industry doesn't provide them any, you know, enough work that is worth staying for. So it's 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 looking at things from a different perspective. And and I think for me, um, it's time that the the industry thinks about it from the way, uh, you know, we're putting it forward as opposed to um, just this continuous labor shortage, labor shortage, because you really don't think about it other than this, you know, chronic labor shortage. That it's it's so that that's interesting, Bruce. And we've been talking about labor shortage, particularly in the back of house for years. I mean, ever since ever since I've been thinking about restaurants, we've been saying it's hard to get people in the kitchen. It's tough work. It's hot work. You know, it's it's not particularly well paid. But at the at at the same time, and, and I don't want to go down the rabbit hole of, of of tipping, but at the same time, historically we've said the front of house, we've had maybe not people who've made a career out of it. There's some who have, but but that we were able to get people because of incomes being a little higher. Now we're sort of seeing it in this in in both sides of the business. What do you think has changed? Well, it's interesting you say that. Restaurants Canada in in 2018, just before the pandemic, asked operators uh, if they were struggling finding uh, front of house employees, including servers, cooks, and managers, and and only 11% were were struggling to find front of house employees then. And, and then they redid the survey just a few months ago, and they found that uh, 67% now. Uh, are struggling to fill those front of house positions. So that's an incredible turn of events. And like you said, it really is sort of a new, it's a real new um, punch to the gut for operators. You know, like you said, we've all, you know, operators have always struggled with with the back, but uh, the front is uh, uh, is now an issue as well. And And, you know, tipping had, I think, made it worthwhile for some people, but now you're having to deal with what is referred to as emotional labor, which is this relationship between servers and, and their customers and, and just the the whole interaction psychologically between the two. And also servers now have to wor- worry about their health, um, the health of others, and they have to be screening passports now and et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, maybe Rebecca can add on to this, but I think I think, you know, COVID has impacted and and really changed the landscape of working in the front of house. And, and, you know, operators used to be able to MacGyver and duct tape things to get through, you know, restaurant operators are amazing and resilient um, and the creative, but, but you can't create 
out of nothing, right? So, so uh, yeah, I don't know if you want to add to that, Rebecca. Yeah, well, I think I think Bruce, you you brought up a big point about the emotional labor and like being being the pandemic police. Now you've got this added responsibility there, and you're you're kind of losing what it what you found joy in when you're when you're serving. Um, but I also think as well too, just uh, over the course of the last eighteen months, we've had several lockdowns, and people have been out of work and they haven't been able to make money, and so they've had to look other places in order to to get that. And there's that uncertainty. You, you don't know how long your shift is going to be um, in both front of house and back of house roles quite often. Um, you, you don't know, maybe there could be another lockdown that's looming. Um, so people have had to, to really kind of think about their, their different options that they have and um, they really need to make sure that they're, they're able to, to pay their rent and, and their expenses. And um, it, restaurant work isn't as uh, reliable as it used to be. Oh, just on that word, we, we did a conducted a study last year during COVID of restaurants and uncertainty was the, the hardest struggle for the industry as a whole, really looking looking at it in, in all directions, just the uncertainty. So I think Rebecca's nailed a, a big point there. So so and, and that uncertainty is around, you know, will this job stay around? But but I think, Rebecca, you highlighted some of the some of the challenges, you know, you may make a good hourly wage and, and we can argue that. <laughs> in a separate conversation, but you never know how long your shift is going to be. So even if you're making a good hourly wage, if you get cut after lunch or say you're off for three hours till dinner and, and your, sh- and your shifts are, are slower or, or shorter, then it's, it's what you take home at the end of the week or at the end of the month that really matters. And that uncertainty is something that most other industries don't have. You, you rarely hear about people getting sent home halfway through the day in other industries. So that uncertainty is, is not just around how much we make, but uh, how long we'll work. Rebecca and I had a conversation, uh, goodness, I think on Monday, and we were speaking about the front of house managers and, and, and as Rebecca and I were both front of house managers in our day when we were working and how, how you are, you are trained from day one and it becomes your number one priority is managing your, your labor and, and, you know, getting people off the clock, you know, as quick as you can. And if they're not busy getting them to do something, you know, making their product, making sure they're productive. So as a front of house manager, you, you go around your, your whole, existence really is managing labor mm-hmm. in, to some extent. And, you know, I think we both thought, feel that that can sort of have you looking at employees as expenses rather than assets, right? And it just gives you this overall big picture that, you know, they're on the clock, they're on the clock, that's costing me money. And that that leads to, I think, a lot of um, the things that Rebecca's been been saying and those, you know, on-call shifts and the uncertainty and, and um, at you know, not always following the employment stand, the employee, um, employer standard, ESA. I think, I think I'll highlight and, 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 and Rebecca highlighted this early. We're not saying that all restaurants are bad, although some of these things are fairly common practice. We know that there are restaurants out there working towards paying a living wage, trying to provide benefits. We're seeing it more and more now that, that, you know, that we're in this uh, late quote unquote labor shortage, but but there are clearly some that are worse than others, and I just thought I, I'd highlight that. I want to come back to a point that you made though, Bruce, that that both of you were were front of house managers uh, in your in your previous lives, and one of the things that I remember 
talking about a lot is how hard it's been to get people to move from roles at the at the front line serving and things into some of these management roles because of hours and expectations and frankly rate of pay when you're moving from a tipped job to an to an untipped job is that just as bad as it's always been uh, now that we're in this sort of quote unquote labor crisis I don't know. I think it depends. I've seen some people who had front of house roles who have stepped into manager roles and they said they would never, uh, never do that. But it's because they know that they're able to have, have a, they know how much money they're going to, going to make each week. They, they have a little bit more control over what's happening and with um, reduced sections and reduced hours in restaurants, this has provided them a little bit more security. So um, it's interesting to see that that has changed um, because in the past, it was a big uh, pay drop usually to, to take on a supervisor or manager role because you're not collecting uh, tips or, or as many tips. So um, that ha- it has ha- had a little bit of an effect there, but we're still seeing um, with the Restaurants Canada survey that was put out that uh, manager roles are still still hard to fill. It's interesting. I hadn't thought about that, but but maybe there is more security in a, in, in a manager role than making them more attractive. So given we're here and we talked about it, we're dealing with many businesses that have struggled for the last 18 months. uh, And we know that it's been tough in the restaurant business generally. What can and needs to change for restaurants to be able to provide the kind of work that people want to come and do? So I'll, I'll, I'll take a stab at, at that to start. And, and before I should say that, Mike, just to add, add to a, a point you were saying, there are, there are uh, good employers out there, restaurants that are very good employers. And Rebecca and I have had the privilege of studying some and, and um, you know, there's some, some people doing great work out there. And also full disclosure, I must say that uh, when I was an operator, my restaurants uh, didn't always provide decent work to um, all our employees as well. So, um, you know, this is, this is a, an issue that's been around and, and it's been in my day and Rebecca's day and it continues now moving forward. How do we try to fix it? I, I think, you know, the first step is in many things uh, being resolved is to, uh, to address it and accept that it's an issue and really talk about and understand why people are leaving. And so getting back to that, that point that I made earlier of front of house managers thinking that employees are expenses, we're, we've also been trained that our industry is transient and, and we need to accept that. And, and so when you start as a manager, and I talked to a chef uh, the other day, he says, you know, my goal has always been just to get one year out of a cook. That's like for 30 years in cooking, you know, as a chef, that's my goal is just get a year out of them. Right. So, you know, I'll, that's all. If anything extra is, is, um, is gravy sort of thing. So changing the mindset, um, really addressing the problem and, and getting, getting people to understand what the issues are, I think. And that sounds very basic, but, but I, I think that's, that's the starting point. And I, I hope in our article, one of our goals in our article was add to the discussion and, and maybe, um, look at things a little differently, as we said, instead of this, you know, perpetual labor shortage, labor shortage, labor shortage, looking at it a different way. Um, 
so so I think that's that's the first step. Now, with that being said, one of the barriers and the research is 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 full of 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 this is that restaurants, even large restaurants, operate as small businesses, um, and and the barriers for people um, that operate small businesses are you know are huge. It's hard to strategize. It's hard to think big picture when you're fixing the dishwasher or you're having to run to the store because the bakery didn't show up and and you're buying buns and bringing them in your car and, and these sorts of things. So so that's one of the barriers. Um, but uh, you know, Rebecca, I don't know what you want to add to how we can yeah we can progress on this. Yeah. Yeah, I think, well, it's tough because there's so many, so many different directions you could go. Um, but I think like in investing in employees and realizing that that's a, a smart investment, um, there was a study and it showed that every time you lose a, a restaurant worker, that costs the restaurant about $6,000 um, to be able to rehire someone and retrain them. And, and that's a lot of money. And so um, sometimes when I hear businesses say, you know, they can't afford to, you know, provide a living wage or um, it's just too hard for them to figure out a schedule. I think, I think they need to think about it as, as it being a necessary cost. Um, and I think it shows that our business model has been broken in the restaurant industry because we, we rely on um, very low labor costs in order to, to be able to make a profit. So that maybe needs to, to be reflected in, in menu prices and, um, but there's, there's also things too, that can be done that, that don't cost any money. Um, and I think sometimes that gets forgotten about. So just, you know, having employers talk to their workers and figuring out what it is that, that they need to make sure that they're, uh, supporting them and providing them with, with work that they, they like. So making sure they're getting schedules out in time, um, or, or talking to their workers and seeing if there's some way around, if they like doing split shifts or not, I think having those conversations will, will make people feel more respected and um, they'll be able to get maybe more meaning and um, like feel more dignity when they're working. Yeah. Rebecca, Rebecca has really outlined the business case for um, doing this. And, and, you know, as a veteran in the trying to get restaurants to move and become more environmentally sustainable, the business case was, was always a good way to help them, uh, see all the benefits, and and I think, I think maybe that is as Rebecca has highlighted, uh, uh, one of the things how how to go about this as well, Mike. Well, and and I was going to follow up, and and Rebecca made a point, uh, and I know it's something Bruce that you and I have chatted about in the past is is some some predictability in work too, uh, you know. We go to restaurants to celebrate, to socialize, to enjoy family and friends. Uh, and and so we do that in times where we're not working as much. I mean, yeah, there are lunch restaurants and, and, and that sort of thing. And so restaurant staff end up working evenings and weekends and 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 missing, you know, part of it is they miss a lot of contact with friends who are outside of the industry because because they're on different schedules so is there you know we've talked bruce about restaurants that that sort of say well we you may work evenings but we know we'll tell you exactly which ones and it'll be more consistent so that you can so that you can plan a life is is some of that predictability uh, something that could could improve people's perceptions of their work so Yes, and and we found that in 
my colleague Mark Holmes and I did a, a paper, and, and uh, one of the things that we found was that people want that predictability. It's not, you know, working weekends and holidays is part of it, but it's the combination of that and the and just some predictability and some consistency. And I think restaurateurs will often say, you know, it's so hard to predict business levels. You can get, you know, rushes at any time, but I don't buy that myself because I, you know, I was in the business for 20 years and, and we were able to keep records and, and manage our, you know, had a good understanding of when business was coming. Now, obviously some restaurants struggle with that, but, um, but I, I think, I think Mike, I think scheduling is a huge part of it. I think predictability and uh, consistency. Now, you know, we do have to understand that there are going to be night shifts and weekend shifts, but if you have enough people and you have, um, you can give people, um, you know, every other weekend off, which is what a goal of ours was at uh, Darden restaurants was managers only working one weekend, then having a weekend off, but you needed a full complement of managers to do that. Um, and you had to, you know, invest in their training and invest in, in et cetera, et cetera. So I don't know what you want to add, Rebecca, to that. Well, I, I think there are some people in the industry who love working nights and they love working weekends and they love how busy it is. And so I think it, it really depends on on who the staff are and and what they want. Um, so, again, it's just having that conversation with people to, to see to see what they would like. And I think. Um, having more predictability is nice. Uh, quite often, you know, people don't get the schedule until the day before, and, and that in itself can be really hard. Um, I know people who have left the industry just because they they have a child, and um, throughout the lockdowns, it's been really hard. They they need to find childcare at last last minute notice, or um, just the cost there of childcare is tends to be more than what you're bringing in as a restaurant worker. To me, a big a- there's lots going on here and Rebecca you highlighted some things that 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 we can do that don't cost a lot of money uh, but part of it is also fair compensation and balance you know you talked about people who want to work on nights when they're busy well part of it is busyness drives up income and so trying to move people around and 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 balance shifts becomes more difficult again we'll not go down that rabbit hole today but are we fundamentally not paying enough to eat out is part of it that there, it's hard that there's not enough margin in a restaurant. I'll go back to your first point about uh, people need to pay more, and and it it does you know the whole margin thing you know this razor thin margins I think that's a a crutch we use as an industry as well um, because uh, I've worked in a lot of restaurants. Uh, pretty much all of them that made, you know, really good, um, profitability. So, um, you know, I think it's be, you know, that we, that's a different conversation, but we're, we're not paying enough. We're not paying enough for workers and we're, we're not charging enough for, for restaurant experiences. And, um, I think that's a big part of this, you know, if you think about the amount of people in the restaurant sector, and I think in throughout the food chain as well, that are making less than a living wage, um, that's not a sustainable employment model. Um, that means we're going to have to charge more. Now, one of the things that's happened is, you know, Restaurants Canada and other organizations have fought the increase of minimum wages. Um, and, and, and you have a large lobby group of, of 
you know, some of the biggest restaurants in Canada that that will fight tooth and nail to have a, you know, a dollar increase in 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 minimum wage when, in fact, is that not hurting everybody in the long run? And wouldn't it be a, an even playing field if we if we moved everything up uh, so that the person that is paying 19 or 20 dollars isn't penalized for paying a living wage, which they they really are now. So. So, you know, I'll, I'll kick it off with that. I know this is near and dear to Rebecca's heart as well. So you can jump in now, Rebecca. <laughs> okay. Well, I know, I think, I think Bruce, you covered it really well. I think um, it, it's unfortunate that like uh, many businesses, they've, they've built it into their business plan that to, to be successful and profitable in a restaurant, you need to try and have those low labor costs and um, really, we need to try and be getting more sales. And one way to do that is by raising menu prices. And I think the, the menu prices really have not been reflective of the, the true cost of food and labor um, that goes into to making those dishes. And uh, it's hard to get that across to the consumer as well to, to understand um, like how much time has gone into it and, and how, how much uh, money goes into just paying people to, to serve you. And um, so that's a, a big hurdle to to overcome as well too, and I think that's what's preventing so many uh, business owners from raising their prices is because they're they're concerned that they're going to lose business because people will will not understand why why these prices are higher. We're we're at kind of an interesting place where restaurants have struggled for eighteen months. Many some some have done well, uh, and so there there may be some real anxiety about raising prices. But by the same token, there might be a real opportunity to say costs have gone up and to look customers in the eye and say there is a difference and, and there is an opportunity to raise to raise prices right now. It, it, again, Bruce, it gets to your point where you know people are so busy running the business they don't often take they don't often have the opportunity to step up, step back, stick their head above above the fray and and say, what to, what might we do differently? But there might be a real, despite that anxiety, a real opportunity to to do that right now under the circumstances. Oh, I think I think you're absolutely uh, right on that, Mike. And and I think I might have mentioned this to you uh, before. You know, uh, and building on Rebecca's point, um, you know, we I've had I've taken some criticism about the article from restaurant operators saying, um, you know, I, I, if, if I, if I'm going to pay a living wage, I have to charge more and customers aren't willing to pay it. And getting back to Rebecca's point is then we shouldn't be having these restaurant models that are based on, on paying, you know, minimum wage or just above. And that, that if you're going to enter into a business that's built on paying $15 an hour to a cook, then you have to accept that um, there are the, there's going to be critiques about it and there's going to be consequences that, you know, you're not going to have what we call sustainable employment. So. Yeah. You might not get people wanting to work for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly, exactly it. Yeah. So I'm going to, my last question is, is kind of a philosophical one and I'll be interested to hear your perspective is we're seeing many restaurants position themselves on sustainability, Bruce, you raised earlier on on doing things that are good environmentally. We're seeing restaurants position themselves on animal welfare and antibiotic use and really telling a story 
which differentiates them in the marketplace and, and provides an opportunity to charge more money or at least take more share and drive, and drive business. Is there an opportunity for restaurants to say, look, this is who we are. These are the values we have. We pay a living wage. We, we provide benefits, not just as a way to attract people, but as a way to attract customers and say, you know, why, why aren't people doing that? Because we're doing, we're hearing it lots. You know, I, I never thought I would see the day where I would see on TV a commercial for a, for a restaurant where they're holding the roots of, uh, of grass and saying, look at the health, how healthy this soil is. Is there an opportunity? And, and if there is, why aren't we seeing it? I think, I think it's really funny how um, in restaurants we've come so used to to talking about how, how ethical the food is that's on the menu, yet quite often it gets forget forgotten, like just the ethical work conditions that are being provided. Um, and I think it would be really nice to see that be just as prominent as, as all the discussions we have around food. And I think that there's huge opportunity to, to attract more, more customers into a restaurant by letting them know what, what they have available. Um, I managed a restaurant that was B Corp certified and um, it was incredible to see the response from, from the customers that would come in and they would find out that there were living wages provided and health benefits. And um, it, they ended up coming back more frequently because they knew that they were supporting a business that um, was good for its employees. So I think there, there's definitely that that demand there, and um, I'm seeing as well through my work with the Canadian Restaurant Workers Coalition, lots of people reaching out. Um, they've never worked in a restaurant before, but they want to make sure that they're they're supporting restaurant workers, and they want to find those restaurants that that are really good, that are providing those living wages, and they they want to make sure that they're they're supporting the the good guys, which is really nice to see. And I think that the, that the pandemic is is again perfect timing for operators to to show what they're doing their values and put it right in front of the guests and tell the guests and and uh, because you know people are are wanting to support community you know we've all gone through that phase during the lockdowns etc where you know we we really wanted to ra- you know rally together and support each other and i think um what Re- when rebecca was working um at the the b court restaurant that was you know noticeable and i think it could be even more um, noticeable now that we've gone through this pandemic and as well. Uh, and again, one of the reasons we wrote the article was the incredible amount of mainstream media coverage on this, or on this topic. Um, Mike, I'm sure you've seen, you know, there was a, there was a week where every national media outlet had some stories about, you know, restaurant workers and, and, and the plight of the restaurant workers or the labor shortage, et cetera. So I think, you brought up a good point, and I think, you know, now's the time to do that. Um, now's the time to do it. And as customers, we should be asking. So if, <laughs> if you're listening to the podcast today and, and you think, man, why, what, what can I do as an individual to try and make this better? Ask when you're, <laughs> when you're booking a restaurant. Ask when you're sitting at the table. Uh, and, and the more they hear those types of questions, the more they'll think this is, this is something that, that is going to matter to our to our customer, and frankly, people should matter as much as uh, as much as the animals we're we're putting on uh, we're putting on the table. So, 
that's that's great. I've really enjoyed this conversation and I've actually learned a couple of new things. So that's that's always my goal. I want to give you both an opportunity to to sort of make a couple of closing comments. Is there something that I should have asked that I didn't? Is there a point you want to make or is there just something that you'd like to to, to wrap up with? So, uh, Rebecca, we'll, we'll, we'll start with you. Yeah, so I think... I think we've kind of we've gone through it all. Some restaurants uh, restaurants are already providing really great work, um, but we need to make sure that the entire industry kind of rises to that standard. And I think this is a great opportunity. It's it's nice to see that it's uh, a topic that has been discussed, and there's more transparency, and it's really kind of opened a lot of people's eyes. And um, it's it's definitely possible. And I think now now is the time. Now that we're in this labor crisis, that uh, we really need to to change and, and improve conditions for, for restaurant workers. Yeah, I'll just I'll just close by saying that, um, you know, it was really tough for me to say, OK, we're going to submit this in the conversation at this time, at this point of time, um, because everyone's short. Everyone's running around just trying to survive. And and here comes, you know, Bruce and Rebecca to tell us what <laughs> we're doing wrong. And, and so it was incredibly uh, difficult to sort of hit that send button with this article. But upon reflection, it's only going to get worse if this isn't addressed. And, and this is not an issue that is going away. And, and so, you know, part of the solution to coming out of the pandemic, getting through surviving the pandemic is starting to put these easy things, uh, in play and and it can be you know Rebecca was giving some examples of you know just pe- treat, treating people with dignity and 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 respect will go a long way to keeping them you know and and so you know operators need to need to I think really tackle this now and and not say you know what we'll look at that once we get through the pandemic when we can and and I I think that would be a huge mistake. Yeah, there is an opportunity to strike right while yeah. the iron is hot, and it can be and part be of the tough. solution. It'll yeah. be tough, but restaurant restaurant people like Rebecca, man, they can do anything they want when they put their heads to it. <laughs> There's a big group of us. <laughs> Good. Thanks, thanks, Bruce and Rebecca. That was that was awesome, and uh, looking forward to chatting again. Thanks, Mike. Thank you. That wraps up another episode of the Food Focus podcast. We very much appreciate you taking the time to listen. If you just discovered Food Focus, you can subscribe anywhere you get podcasts. If you enjoy the podcast, please give us a review. It helps others find us. Before we go, I want to thank my producer, Zach, for his hard work in making each episode sound good and for his original music that helps us transition. He does the hard work and we get to have all of the fun. Thanks. Have a great day.